Today we are asked to endure the story of the death of Jesus in living color in all its gory details. And in the week to come, we are asked to walk with him and his disciples every step of the way, with no knowledge of the Easter to come, no knowledge of the empty tomb, the resurrection, but only of gathering doom. This is our final Lenten discipline. We're asked to forget what we know and to follow Jesus to his wretched death without a clue of what will happen next. It is only then, when we have shared even a splinter of his cross, that he has anything more to offer us. This last discipline is hard, very hard, because if we can convince ourselves that we are seeing this familiar story for the first time, as if it were happening before us, it is so terribly, wrenchingly painful. What a catalog of griefs. What an account of failures, beginning on the Mount of Olives. Jesus had just had dinner with his friends where he passed around a cup of wine and called it his blood. But now he was anguished, praying and sweating over another cup, the cup of suffering that he begged God to remove from him. The disciples had seen Jesus sad before, but never afraid. He had always been their leader, their teacher, the healer, the miracle worker. His agony was too much for them, and they fell asleep under the weight of their grief. When Jesus wakened them to pray also, it was too late. The angry crowd was already upon them. Now the failures follow in quick succession. Judas' betrayal, the disciples' desertion, Peter's denials, the court's conviction, the crowd's preference for Barabbas. And so it comes to pass that Jesus is hung upon the cross like a scarecrow. Crucifixion is a particularly gruesome way to die. The condemned sags under his own weight until his shoulders separate from their sockets and his breath is constricted and his lungs slowly fill with blood and he finally drowns. Jesus refuses the sour wine that might otherwise have dulled his senses and allowed him to die in a haze. He chose instead to feel the worst possible human pain until he could feel no longer. If he asked us to do the same, it is because he knows that there is no way around pain. There is only the way into and through it. And then for us, if you're anything like me, there is another almost unbearable pain. A few moments ago when you cried out, crucify him, did you, as I always do, feel the cold shiver of complicity? We'd like to think we wouldn't have called for Jesus' death if we'd been there. But really? The odds are that I, like Judas, like Peter, and all the others with Jesus, the odds are that I too would have run for my life. 
If I need proof, I have only to look back a week. Did I love God with my whole heart? Love my neighbor as myself. Recognize Christ in every person I met. Of course not. I went about my business, which is chiefly self-protection, self-preservation. There were so many times that in my reflexive, unthinking actions, I might as well have said, as surely as Peter insisted, I do not know the man. The point is not to rub salt in my wounds or yours. Of course we betray him. Of course we fall short of who we were created to be. In whatever minor and major ways, we take part in the crucifixion. We spill his blood, and with that, the blood of our brothers and sisters. But the oh-so-great, mysterious, and holy surprise is that Jesus takes the very blood we have spilled and turns it into the means of our reconciliation. I hadn't been ordained long when I tipped the cup toward a four-year-old child with the words, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And he asked, ew, is that really blood? before looking into the cup and then pushing it away. Who could blame him? Who, without benefit of theological metaphor, would willingly drink from a cup of anyone's blood? What, might we ask, did Jesus have in mind when he offered us all a supper of his body and his blood? For the first century Jew, the image of eating flesh and drinking blood was one of hatred of a celebration of the death and desecration of one's bitterest enemies. Jesus asked his disciples to accept it instead as the unthinkable, an ultimate, transcendent act of life and fellowship and love. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that in the end he would walk alone to his death. Maybe when he offered the bread and wine of the new covenant, he was telling his beloved friends that he bore no malice, that his love for them was stronger than death, stronger than sin, as if he knew the truth about them and about us, that we are all amateurs at love, that we do fall asleep on him and too often abandon him when things get tough. Whether or not we recognize our part in Jesus' death, in the sacrament of Holy Communion, he lets us know that he does. He lets us know that we are forgiven before we even turn away. He strengthens us with his own lifeblood so that we might begin again to love God, to love our neighbor, and even ourselves. And so what might have been just another bloody tragedy becomes the heart of our faith, a story of our life within his, our membership in his body. And because he forgives us before we ever turn away, the road back to him is always open. Let us then keep him company this week and stay awake with him 
and forsaking our own comfort, walk with him as far as we can. Today's gospel ends bitterly. It leaves Jesus dead, silent in the tomb. While everything in us may want to rush to proclaim the resurrection of the tomb empty, let us stay for this one week where he is to share his story and his pain like someone who is experiencing it for the first time, like Peter or the centurion or a four-year-old peering into the chalice, to be hurt by it and healed by it, and finally to be filled with wonder and awe. Amen.